the world of the work reinvention strategist, next on Remote Space. Hello? Uh, yeah, right. I'm sending that over in an hour. The meeting today? Another one? Hold on one sec. Enough! (laughs) Working from home not as much fun as you imagined? Remote Space explores the tools and philosophies we use as we work more remotely. We'll talk to experts who have mastered remote work, those studying the shift in how we work, and those learning on the run. Here's your host, Doug Thomas. Lydia Lee left a high-paying job to reinvent how and where she works. A six-month experiment has turned into an eight-year and counting career in helping others do the same. At her site, screwthecubicle.com, a great name, by the way, Lydia helps clients design their own businesses, which often includes working in other countries or being digital nomads. I talked to Lydia from her current place of residence in Bali. Lydia, you mentor people through this transition from the corporate world to entrepreneurship, a business designed, as you say, from their strengths and values and personality. I got to ask, is a main thing you're teaching maybe indirectly courage? Well, that is a, a really good point. I, I think it is. <laughs> and and different people have different versions of courage, I find. Um, not all of us are the type of people that want to jump off a cliff and hope the parachute opens. You know, we're we're calculated risk people. And so I am, and as I am too. So yeah, I think a lot of, of what I do behind that work is, is to help give people or help people design a, a path of least resistance, if you will, to do something different with their career and their lifestyle choices. There's hundreds, thousands of people you've worked with. Do you see common denominators of, of what main obstacles are? Absolutely. I think it, a lot of people are sort of afraid of change in general. And as we are going through a, a global change at the moment, we're, we're getting to witness uh, a lot of very interesting human behavior of how we adapt to change, you know, um, and how how we were a year ago when, for example, the coronavirus was still new to us to where we are today, you know, 12 months later, right, and how we've adapted so far. And I think, that, you know, depending on on also where people are at, you know, in, in their stage of life, you know, so I work a lot with people who are in mid-career, for example. You know, and then what they have potentially to quote unquote lose is sort of an identity that's attached to a job title. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm used to calling myself a doctor. I'm used to calling myself a lawyer. And if I no longer get to right, introduce myself that way at a dinner party, <laughs> who am I really, <laughs> you know, without this, this sort of identity that I get to say that, where it can fully explain who I am as a human. <laughs> so there's the challenge of sort of going, well, where, where has my body of work evolved into? How do I describe my body of work now when I'm not using sort of a a one title, you know, trick, you know, to talk about who I am? Um, And then there's also people that are, let's say, in their their younger days of their careers where their fears might be slightly different than someone in mid-career, where they may be afraid that they don't have enough experience to have a business. Uh, And so they might have different obstacles that they'll have to go through in terms of, you know, validating, right, some of the skill sets they have, and understanding how they can support people without knowing all the things, you know, in their industry, and actually really niching down to one specific type of skill set that can allow them to also do really good work. And I mean, your website is filled with these beautiful pictures. and, And we'll talk about your story in a little bit that included a 
change in locale, is that a big draw for some people or do many of the clients decide to just go ahead and change and stay where they are? I think most people crave a version of freedom that's right for them. You know, not not everybody wants to be a digital nomad or a location independent person, but they would like the autonomy of choice. You know, and so I work a lot with parents, for example, and mothers, you know, that want to not rush back to work after mat leave, you know, or not be afraid that their job might be taken from them if they took more time off, you know, to be there for their children in their formulative years, you know, what a, what a thing to ask for. And so it's autonomy and control, I think, is, is more about that. And, and however people define their freedom, whether it is staying at home or being able to just go for a walk in the middle of the day, you know, and not have to punch in, you know, clock in and clock out to be able to have a balanced life. I think that's really the draw, right? That autonomy of time, autonomy and control over how we spend our time and where potentially that might be doing it as well. So location independency could be a perk. Uh, I think people may not want to live abroad like all year round, you know, like sometimes I do that. And then there's choices that people want to make where maybe I don't want to be where I usually am in the winter. You know, I might be going somewhere else a little warmer and experiencing a different climate uh, or teaching my kids, you know, different ways of how to grow my kids in a different education system or cultural integration that might be important to my parenting style. That's great stuff on that. And now let's go back. I mean, besides you own this company, you're also a member kind of because you, this was the journey you took several years ago when you were in a corporate world out of Vancouver, BC, correct? That's right. And and this was kind of started from what I was struggling to find. You know, it was sort of an in-betweener person that was kind of part therapist, you know, part career coach, um, because that was sort of what I was looking for when I was transitioning out of my, you know, high paying corporate job and wondering if this is the right move for me. I either only had sort of business coaches that would tell me how to launch a business or sort of traditional career assessments that kind of put me into a box of an algorithm of traditional careers and give me my top 20 careers based on my skill sets and, you know, what I answered on the question. But that nuance that's in between, you know, where if someone is questioning what is meaningful work, what is sort of what I can repurpose with what I know, and how does that look like in conjunction with the way I want to design my lifestyle? Those weren't really, you know, answered correctly or properly, in my opinion. And so I think that was sort of born from a, a frustration of a, of a gap for me. And then, you know, being able to, yeah, offer this to other people that might be going through that same crossroad of, of decisions. How much planning had you done to change before you decided to hand in your resignation letter? It took about nine months from the day that I had a health scare that actually happened to me during a business trip in Russia, in Moscow, uh, in the dead of winter. <laughs> Great combination. And I've been on the road, you know, I, I worked in international education. I was on the road six months out of the year. Uh, I was also very jet lagged and hadn't taken a holiday for two years at that time. And yeah, it was sort of all the elements coming together for great ingredients of a burnout. <laughs> so that was sort of my moment of a, a breakdown that ultimately sort of became a breakthrough, you know, of having to look at my health, having to look at the choices I'm making in my career and whether or not I'm still moving towards the experience, you know, I had wondered I would have as I, I, as I was getting promoted. And so originally, I think what I needed to do was get my health back in order. 
So taking a sabbatical from work, hiring a therapist, you know, understanding where the anxiety and the depression was coming from. Um, and then from that place, after sort of clearing the environment for me to think about the future, you know, that was when I started to realize that my job and the way that I was doing my work, it wasn't the job itself. I actually really loved what I did. It was the environment of how I was able to perform that job, you know, and, and also the, you know, I was working about an average of about 60 hours a week, which wasn't sustainable for me, you know, as a human, maybe other people can do that, but certainly not for me. And so having those answers, you know, even though I didn't know what was next, I did know that was not the place I needed to remain, you know, and so I actually started a what I call a transition business in the beginning of time. So screw the cubicle was not my first business. I actually had an agency that I started in the international education niche that I was already in. And it was sort of an easy transition to something I already knew. You know, I had a Rolodex for and served, a, you know, kind of created a different solution in the marketplace that I was very familiar with. So this first agency transition you decided to go to is moving part of it or are you staying in the Vancouver area at this time? I was still in Vancouver at the time. And, you know, Vancouver is in a, a very inexpensive city to live in. So I had to get uh, really cautious about, you know, how I was budgeting as an entrepreneur and making sure that I felt safe financially, you know, to, to be independent and be an entrepreneur. And it was sort of during the first year of my first business. And on the side, I had, I had started a blog called Screw the Cubicle <laughs> to document my, my identity crisis, really going through entrepreneurship, wondering if I did the right thing and really place to sort of send my friends and family who were sort of wondering what the hell I was doing with my life. And so I had a blog on the side, I had a full-time agency I was running. And then I started to really think about, you know, this pressure of living in this city. I love Vancouver. I mean, it's a beautiful place to live. My friends were there, my family were there, but it, it had a lot of pressure for me as a, as a first time entrepreneur to sort of make ends meet, if you will, you know, and be able to pay these high costs of rent. And then I really thought about, well, what's keeping me here? Why do I have to stay here? I could always come back, but wasn't the whole point of being, you know, an entrepreneur to have autonomy over certain lifestyle choices. And so instead of sort of waiting for when my business was, you know, the most successful place it could be, I sort of, you know, took my leap of faith and said, why don't I leave and go somewhere a little bit more affordable where I could ha have more bang for buck and be able to run my business, you know, in a location independent way and get to enjoy travel rather than something I'm waiting for, for two weeks in a year. So that was sort of what happened in uh, 2013. Obviously, that became way more than the six month stint that I imagined. And, you know, I've been sort of living in Bali and all over the world in, in almost the last eight years. Fabulous. And one of the keys uh, I remember in the articles I read about you said is thinking about money is really a key here, correct? Or rethinking yeah, rethinking money and reimagining what purposes we have with money, uh, I think has been an important part of my own journey, and also an important part for people to to feel that courage, you know, to to take a leap of faith at, at some point in their lives. And because there's a lot of misconception about what what is enough, you know, what's enough for, for our lives, because we are sort of trained to believe that more is better. <laughs> Right, more pay, more of a paycheck is better. More responsibility is better. More status is better. More prestige is better, and a bigger house is better. Right. So, and then we wonder, well, God, to maintain and sustain that sort of those sorts of choices may not actually be in alignment with the values that I might have for myself. You know, and so I, I think 
for most people is, is, is understanding that they can be safe. You know, the safety is an important piece of, I mean, look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You know, bottom part of the triangle or the pyramid is, you know, the foundation of security and safety and community and so forth. And so if we don't get that sort of clarified for ourselves in terms of what do we need to live a comfortable life? you know, what it is that we can also kind of exchange. I, I, you know, like to use the word exchange instead of sacrificing because an exchange kind of is a a notion of, you know, I'm exchanging something I used to make a choice on this way for something that I want more of, you know, which might require me to do something different, like not eat out seven days a week, you know, or spend money on things that isn't part of the bigger goals of what I want for my life. And so that sort of adjustment of, of lifestyle choices you know, budgeting, and also knowing what it costs them to live the life that they want is also going to support them in understanding what they have to make in, in a business, what it is that they need to bring in every month, and, and what does that look like for retirement and so forth. You know, and, and when I did this practice of actually looking at my numbers, you know, properly, when I was transitioning out of my job is I, I sort of realized that I had a myth in my head that where I said to myself, I wasn't allowed to quit my job unless I made the exact six-figure number I made at my corporate job, right? But then when I actually looked at the math, you know, in Canada, we have quite high taxes for high earners. So 40% of my paycheck was actually being taxed anyway. So I wasn't actually taking in the 100%, even though in my head I thought I was, right? (laughs) And then when you think about, right, whatever I took home, that 60%, and divide it by the 60 hours, I was actually working, what I discovered was that I was making less than my assistant. Wow. <laughs> That's a reality check. Yeah. Right? And and so that was the sort of, you know, then it got the wheels turning. It's like, wait a second, I need to pay attention to what I actually need and, and you know, suspend disbelief of what I think needs to happen and be really clear about what my life looks like, what I'm bringing in. And then I can be in a much clearer place to make choices of whether or not you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. How much I would be charging for the services that I was, you know, giving customers. Yeah. What kind of unique situations did your clients come through in this last year during the pandemic? I mean, it's kind of odd. This whole thing of location dependency and and digital nomads. A lot of people, the world kind of found themselves catching up to people that were doing this. But I got to think other problems were there for people that had changed their lifestyle, and now the world has changed. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting time we're living in because just even a year ago, you know, the idea of of digital nomadism wasn't, you know, people thought it was something that was meant for, you know, these millennials that were on Instagram posting, you know, working with a laptop on the beach in Thailand somewhere, (laughs) right? And so it, it, it wasn't as relatable, if you will, to people with families and, you know, people that sort of weren't single and, you know, in that age bracket. And now that we've all collectively been training, it's almost like, you know, we've been in a boot camp for remote working and understanding how to manage our time, how to use technology, how to keep connecting and keep doing great work. If if anything, maybe even better work because you're not bombarded by distracting meetings or people kind of poking their head in your cubicle and so forth. And people have started to experience what it feels like firsthand to have a little bit of control you know, over their time, over over how they want to schedule themselves. You know, uh, when we transition to a, a sense of remote work environment, one of the interesting things that I found in the last 12 months is that even though that that sense of freedom, I get to work in my pajamas, I get to, you know, see my kids for breakfast, it's, it has been difficult for people to kind of manage 
what they do if they had control over their time because they're so used to spreading out work in a nine to five capacity. You know, so learning how to work smarter, learning how to prioritize what they actually should be spending their time on so that they can maybe have the afternoon off, you know, or do other things with their time. That has been sort of an interesting learning curve for people It's sort of almost reinventing how they work and being almost like, you know, an essentialist. You know, knowing what's essential to push forward, what is busy work being versus productive work, and also how do I ensure that I'm juggling the balancing act of, you know, children in the background and, and you know, another spouse, for example, working in the same space, right? But as we are now, you know, celebrating our 12 months anniversary of, you know, sort of getting used to this uh, new way of working or the future of work, you know, now all of a sudden I'm hearing a lot more conversations about, you know, um, I'm hearing whispers, you know, in, in the newsletters, in my company newsletters that we may go back to work as usual come summer, maybe. And, they're going, well, what if I don't want to go back to work as usual? What if actually I've really enjoyed the way that I've been working and what are my options and what are my opportunities to continue this approach to work and still maintaining my security with a paycheck, you know, or security with um, being paid well, you know, as an independent contractor or consultant. And so it, it is, uh, I think people are getting a little braver, you know, now that they've gotten a taste of what it feels like to remote work and, and, and looking for potentially better opportunities to either repurpose their skills, maybe transition into or negotiate a consultancy with their current employer, you know, or a, a combination of different things of an escape route. I got to think the experience has really greased the the skids for several people that this would be a place where they could jump off where 18 months ago, it was hard to imagine much like you're trying to imagine that when you were in Vancouver versus, well, we had to do it that way. So I now have different ways to think about what's important probably is primary. And then to what can I do to be a professional to get paid? And I have those tools in front of me now. Absolutely. And there's also the uh, lack of a better word, like there's ammunition, you know, that you can bring to the table (laughs) where before, you know, if you were to negotiate and this is what I do. I do a lot with my clients, too, is actually a lot of them do successfully negotiate consultancy gigs for themselves without losing that security, but but renegotiating terms of work. You know, and and that allows them the spaciousness to work on a side gig or build their business on the side with low risk. Right. But before, if you were to make that pitch perhaps to your employer, they would have not been able, you know, they would have said, well, I I need you in the office. It it has, you have to be in the office because that's the only way we can track what you're doing and how you can collaborate with the team. Right. Uh, But now, you know, even our employers, right. The organizations and and businesses are, are also right. Having have had to warm up to this idea of, you know, collaboration via the internet and people working without us breathing down their necks. And maybe, you know, that isn't such a bad thing and it's, it's possible. And could I maybe even save money on the lease I have on this massive building to hold all my employees, right? So I think there's room for negotiation and there's a bigger opportunity for a yes, you know, for uh, these sorts of transitions in in the time that we're living in. And I agree. I mean, I I find that at at Microsoft that for several businesses, the work has been offices versus open spaces. Now that's kind of been thrown out the door and it's kind of like what opportunities will it be to to get this work done uh, no matter where you are. Uh, now, I'm just going to say that th- I'm asking for a friend here. <laughs> so someone who might be closer to a traditional retirement age than a mid-career move, do you look at that differently or is the same formula exist? 
you know, the people that I've worked with that is sort of closer to that stage of retirement, you know, they, they, they still have a motivation to do work because I think for them it is about, well, I, I've done my dues and I know what I, I know that I'm good at what I do and I have a wealth of experience to bring to the table, but I may not want to do it in, in the approach that I've done it, you know, in, in my corporate field. And, and I may want to potentially teach my wealth of knowledge, for example, you know, instead of, of doing the day-to-day right assignments and, and tasks and people that are in you know the, the people that I've worked with that that are in that stage of life still want to have meaning you know still want to contribute to the world and they want to know that they can leave some sort of a legacy you know with the times uh, the, the time and experience that they've invested in you know over the years but it might look very different you know and so uh, an example of this is i i have i have a woman that that is currently working with me who is about you know 62 years old at the moment one of the great things that she's been making conscious decisions on is moving you know herself from a big city in new york to sort of a a, a farmhouse you know that that is a little bit you know further away from her family but you know she's she can visit them during holidays and after the coronavirus is over uh, and she loves this I- idea of sort of being able to write you know, for 15 hours a week. And because she's lessened her lifestyle costs and she can not feel as panicked about whether or not her retirement funds will, you know, keep her keep her safe and sane, she's writing a book, you know, a lot around her her work and, and what she's found out going through certain experiences in her career and her life. And and that is something that, you know, she loves doing that is sort of her primary project at the moment. And here and there, throughout the year, she takes on a couple of um, gigs from her old job to train people on Zoom, you know, to do the work she used to do. But that's only seasonal, you know, there's only two quarters in the year she'll do about three weeks of work, you know, and that's her combination, her algorithm of balance, where she's still maintaining her work and her connection to, you know, an industry she she cares about. But she also has, you know, this personal time to do these other projects that are fulfilling for her as an independent human. And I got to think that some people find a lifestyle that they really like and the corporate world may not be the job that they love, but it allows them to do something that gives them greater reward for uh, what they do from day to day or how they live or, or how they were able to use their time. Is is that a case sometimes? I think that, you know, there's there's a lot of people that want to, they, they don't want to escape work, you know? And I always say this because, you know, when people go to my website, you know, screw the cubicle, you know, you could take it as, well, I'll never work again. This means that I have, a, you know, you're going to help me find a way of, of avoiding work <laughs> and still being able to, right, do my travels and all the fun things. But actually, screw the cubicle to me and how I define it is about reinventing work, where work doesn't feel like a clock in, clock out activity, where it's not just to get a paycheck, that there is more than that. Yes, I think work should pay you well to live the life that you want, but it should also give you other aspects of what you need as a human being, which is a sense of meaning, a sense of contribution and a sense of purpose, you know, and so I'm a big believer of a, of a great intersection of purpose and profit. You know, and I think that when we're able to do that, I think we do better work, and we we can also see the ripple effect, right, of the work that we do, and have the quality where we are feeling proud of the work that we do, and that has been a huge part of why my clients are motivated to work for themselves is they want to feel proud of the work that they do. They know that they're making a difference. And the bonus thing is they're getting paid to do that. 
And I think that's an important piece of, of fulfilling work and deep satisfaction with you know the longevity of our careers. There's something I read in an article uh, that you wrote something uh, as people talk about this change and you say, quote, so get out a journal or a pad of paper and write a story of your ideal lifestyle. And please, for the love of God, tell someone about it. A lot of people have these dreams, but it's cutting the rubber to the road is what is needed. And then to me, like you sound like AAA, you're helping people find their path on this road. Yeah, and everyone's path is different. That's the other part that has been interesting, you know, to make sure that people know. Because when we have access to the internet, we sort of see success stories in a particular way. You know, so we have a belief that in order to be successful, maybe we have to have big empires. You know, maybe it has to be six, seven figure businesses. But it may not be. Maybe you actually want to be a solopreneur. Maybe you want to be a tiny but mighty business. Maybe you don't want to work full-time with, you know, 50 employees under you. And and you're very happy, just like that woman, you know, that I talked about in her farmhouse that only wants to work 20 hours a week and adjusts her lifestyle choices to be able to do that. And the part about telling someone about it is also important because I think we have a tendency in Western society, especially Western society, to sort of not broadcast what it is that we're we're desiring or thinking about or pondering or contemplating until we get it 100% right from fear of judgment, right? And fear of failing, right? From that judgment. And so we tend to keep everything to ourselves until we get all the moving parts right. And I think that is such a a pity that we don't feel that we can gain support from the people that care about us and also the act of actually talking more about that reality, about that dream, about what an ideal lifestyle looks like for you is actually what's going to help you kind of almost make it real, you know, for yourself rather than it to be a, a back burner dream of a fantasy. The more you talk about it, the more your attention is paid to it. And the more your attention is paid to it, the more your eyeballs and your mind starts to find evidence to try to fulfill that desire. You know, and so that is a, a, an interesting ripple effect as well. And I certainly experienced this when I started to just honor that I want to have these, even if I don't have that dream in reality at the moment, I am allowed to still keep dreaming, you know, and when I hold that dream as a daily ritual of attention that I can spend on it, all of a sudden, you know, people I meet, articles I, you know, read or books that I end up picking up at the library are sort of a, a GPS for me to go towards that beacon. And that can make the biggest difference in, I think, um, getting to the, the change that we, we really want for our lives. Lydia Lee, thank you so much. Uh, Lydia Lee is the founder of Screw the Cubicle, where she calls herself a work reinvention strategist, which proves if you, if you make your own business, you get to come up with the best job titles. Uh, you can find her and more about her and this type of change that uh, she can help you with at screwthecubicle.com. Lydia, thank you so much for coming on Remote Space. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more stories and lessons learned from those working in the remote space.